How many of you facing a battle, facing a burden, facing a challenge, financial situations, marriage difficulties, health problems? Anybody facing any of that kind of stuff? Isn't the name of Jesus <laughs> all we need? Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Wow, what a God. You're going to be turning in your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Um, while middle school is making their way out, if you've got anybody in middle school or actually the fifth grade, it's called Treehouse. They're headed out that way. If you've got any children, you're welcome to let them go with these guys. They'll have them back right after church. Um, I want to look this morning at, at preparing for the new year. I love any time God gives me an opportunity to, to even read his word, much less share it. I was studying earlier this week and wrote a message and it's been a little bit of an eventful week. Um, things are what they are. Everybody's going through something, right? And yesterday morning, I woke up early, and I was laying there in the bed, and I was like, God, I'm, I'm fixing to go study what you gave me earlier this week, but if that's not the right message, just give me the right one. Well, what you've already written really doesn't matter. What I've already got typed up, outlines of already there, doesn't matter. And I went in and began studying, and, and God just began to show me some things at a, at a different passage. And, you know, as crazy as it sounds, there's only two Sundays left, and it'll be 2022. Where did 2020 go? Forget about 21. I'm still looking for 2020. I mean, like, how, how did we get here, man? It's like I'm, I'm so behind. I, I wonder how many of us started out 2020 with what, what we refer to a lot of times as New Year's resolutions. Things we want to change, things we want to do differently, things we want to better ourselves. And they, they can be health-related. We're going we're to lose weight. We're going to exercise. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to grow closer to God. We're going to change what we do at church. You all know what I'm talking about. We, we make things. And the first year comes, that's going to be our, our resolution. But then 2020 came and went. And, you know, we've got a, we got a pretty good thing. We blame it on right there. COVID really did throw a monkey wrench in life. I mean, it just like it messed up everything, not just church. It's messed up economy. It's messed up gas. It's messed up groceries. It's messed up what the shelves look like when you go in the store and there's nothing there. And you're like, man, we're in America and this is, this is real. It messed up a lot. So we, we might throw that off at 2020. But what about 2021? I wonder if coming off 2020 and COVID and having kind of a wake-up call to humanity and all that's going on and realizing that we're not invincible, America's not invincible, the world's not invincible, our finances aren't, inven aren't invincible, our health is not invincible. As a matter of fact, a little virus can come in and take away our life. So I wonder if after realizing that we're not invincible after 2020, I wonder if we made maybe some resolutions for 2021 and, and here we are at the end of the year, two Sundays left and we, we didn't fulfill all the things that we wanted to. We have a story in the text this morning we'll look at. Young man is faced with a choice, kind of like you and I. Anybody ever have to make choices? Anybody have to make decisions? Choices are just a way of life. It, it's things that we deal with, and, and every choice that we make is followed by one of two things. It's either a benefit or a consequence. Choices are something that we make every day. Some choices are bigger than others. You know, sometimes decisions are hard. Sometimes the decisions we have to make, we're, we're put to the test. Sometimes there are decisions that are so important that we can't just make them. We have to spend time in prayer, days in prayer, weeks in prayer, months in prayer. Some, some choices are hard. But it is the choices that we make today that will determine the future and how things are going to be. So here in our text this morning... Young man has a choice, Mark chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17. The story here is talking about Jesus. He's just finished the work here. And the Bible says that when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. See, I think that's pretty important. 
This young man has a need that is so vitally important to this young man that he's running to Jesus. Anybody ever feel like your need is that urgent? Anybody ever feel like what you're going through, what you need is so important that we run to Jesus? It says, and that he kneeled to him and he asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus saith unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, I, I love this part that's easily overlooked, says that he loved him. This isn't a castaway of this young man. This is an offer to this young man. It says that Jesus loved him and saith unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked, looked round about, he saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Now, it's important because Jesus asked this question twice, but he rewords it the second time. He says first, How hard is it that those that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his word. Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Look at, look at the difference in the way he says it, children. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. That means greatly beyond imagination. They are astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. Oh, I love the name of Jesus. For with God, all things are possible. I want to look at a message for a few minutes this morning on defining our future. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you, Father, that the name of Jesus is all we need. It's the name of Jesus right now that allows us access into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy. It's the name of Jesus right now that we can pray to that can intervene in marital situations. It's the name of Jesus that we can call out right now that can make healing for those that are sick, repair those that are broken, mend up those things which need mending. It is the name of Jesus that can step into a situation and make a way out of no way. It is the name of Jesus that we can call on this morning and pray, God, in that name that you would send your Holy Spirit to continue gathering in this place. Lord, I thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for what we feel in this place. But God, I pray now, would you move? Lord, I pray that you do a mighty work in here. God, I pray you touch every family represented. God, I pray you'd move on us and help us learn more about you, that we'd be better servants. But God, we pray most of all that you would be pleased. God, that you alone would be exalted, for you alone are worthy. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So 2022 is coming. Anybody doubt that? Whether Jesus comes and gets us or not, 2022 is still coming. I'm, I'm not so all opposed that we just wake up to the sound of a trumpet in the morning and, and part on out of here. But if Jesus tarries and he doesn't, and he doesn't come get us in, in the next about three weeks or so, 2022 is coming and, and we're going to be part of it. I wonder in December of 2022, will we sit here in the same place thinking the same things because we did not accomplish things in 2022 the same way we've not accomplished things we set out to do in 2021. The years seem to come and go. I always heard when I was younger that the older you get, the faster they, they go. So if they get any faster, they don't need me going to bed. It'll be New Year's. <laughs> it's crazy how fast time seems to be getting by. And, and you know, we, we make these plans... Like, this is going to be the year that I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. This is the year that I'm going to change my prayer life. This is the year that I'm going to be committed to prayer. This is the year that I'm going to be committed to Bible study. This is the year that I'm going to be committed to being in church or having my family in church. We make all of these, these New Year's commitments. But then all of a sudden we find ourselves in December and it's like, what happened? 
what 2022 is going to look like is going to be determined not by the choices that we make on the surface, but by the things we actually complete. Maybe I need to say that a little different. How 2022 looks one year from now, in December of 2022, is going to be determined by what we actually did, not by what we actually determined to do or confessed to do. The truth is we all make choices regardless of how young, regardless of how old everybody makes choices. Bad choices can sometimes create a temporary pleasure, but it can come with some lifelong consequences. One bad choice can change everything. Young people, you especially, one bad choice can ruin your life before your life ever really starts. You get ready to graduate high school, many of you in high school, middle school just went out and to be honest, you, you've achieved a lot. I'm thankful for what you've achieved, but I can tell you from, from stepping all over the edge of 60 that you ain't accomplished quite as much as you, as you think. And one bad decision now, you can spend the rest of your life paying for. Decisions are important. It's just as important for you and I as we, as we get older. Decisions are important because decisions that we make affect our family. It affects our homes. It affects so many others around us. So, so decisions are, are a big deal. Choices are a big deal. A choice is not what, what we are determined to do. It is the fulfillment of what we actually do. Depending on age, goals may be different. Pretty much everybody has goals at some point in life. When, when we're younger, we have goals of what kind of job we want or how much money we think we want to be determined to make, what kind of house we're going to be, maybe what marriage looks like, we get older, maybe, it, maybe it's for some retirement. The bottom line, depending on age, um, goals look different. But anybody remember like when you're younger, you, you had goals, but then the next thing you know, you're married and then you have children and, and then you have life and now you have a job. It may not be the one that the goal set out for. It may not be what we set out to accomplish, but, but here we are and now we have responsibilities. Goals are things that we want to achieve. Responsibilities are things we need to achieve. Responsibilities are taking care of the things that choices have already brought us to. Amen? Brian Dyson, CEO of Coca-Cola, 1986-1991. He was the commencement speaker at the 172nd commencement of Georgia Tech. Go ahead and say it. Go Jackets. The 172nd commencement of the University of Georgia Tech, and he made a speech. It was 1,672 words long. He's not remembered by the speech. He's remembered by what took him 30 seconds to say. Dyson said, imagine life as a game in which you're juggling five balls. Who can juggle? You better be glad I forgot to bring the balls. You'd be on the spot because I can't juggle one. I, I wanted to bring some. I thought about it this morning. I thought, well, time restraint anyway. We're probably going to be running a little bit long. So, so we'll leave that out. But he says, imagine life as a game in which you're trying to keep five balls in the air at all time. Work, family, health, friends, and spiritual life. You spend life trying to keep all these balls in the air. But unfortunately, many people fail to learn the importance of the different balls until it's too late. Over time, Dyson says that we'll eventually learn that the work ball is made out of rubber. If we drop the work ball, it is the one that can bounce back. But unfortunately, many times we drop balls like our family. Many times we drop balls like our spiritual life trying to keep the rubber ball in the air. We spend so much time with work, so much try time trying to keep the, the one that is the least fragile in the air because it's made out of rubber. But these other balls, our, our family, our health, our friends, and our spiritual life are made out of glass. If we drop one of those balls, they can be scuffed, chipped, cracked, may even be broken. You can drop the family ball and maybe it's broken in a way that you can pick it up and glue it back together and put it back together, but the scars will never go away. The, the, the cracks, the breaks are always there. But if you're not careful, you, you can drop those balls and they'll be shattered. They'll be shattered in a way that can't ever be put back together. Many times people don't realize the importance of the ball until they've dropped one and they've seen it shattered. Life is all about choices. 
One of the choices that we make as Christians is will I be what God wants me to be? Our story here with this this young man in the text, Mark chapter 10, it shows us that he's achieved a lot of life's goals, but but yet his life is still empty. It's important when you're studying this story, excuse me, to remember when you study the four gospels, Jesus teaches us a lot of things about through, through by way of parables. Par- parables are hypotheticals. Jesus teaches a lot of things by taking a parable and breaking it down and saying, you know, hey, in this parable, this could happen. It's important to understand this is not a parable. This is a real life story. This man came running to Jesus in this true life story, and, and the young man is offered between the things of the world and the things of God. It's not that you can't have both. Anybody hear me? This young man is told to make a choice between the things of the world and the things of God. But it's not that you can't have both. Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, he said, Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He didn't say that you can't have the things. He doesn't even say that you can't seek the things. He said seek God first. God doesn't mind you and I as Christians having money or we wouldn't have none. God doesn't mind us having cars or we'd be walking. God doesn't mind us having homes or we'd be sleeping outside. God gave us everything that we have. Make no mistakes about that. There's nothing that we have was not given to us by the hand of God. God took care of you and I before we were ever saved. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And while we were lost, he still kept a roof over our head. He still kept food on our table. And he made a way to keep us alive until we had time to learn about Jesus and be saved. God doesn't mind us having things or we wouldn't have Things, the problem here in the text isn't what the man has, it's the position of his heart. Verse 22, having been required to make a choice, it says that he was sad at the saying and he went away grieved for he had great possessions. See, th- this young man has it all. In, in today's world, in our language today, he's got money in the bank. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? He's got a padded cushion, man. He's not maxed out on plastic. He's got money to spare. He's got a nice home. He's got nice cars. He's got a lot of land. He's got a a beach house down there to go spend his summer vacations. He's got a cabin up in the mountains. I mean, this man has got some stuff, and he's got lots of it. This is a wealthy man, but yet he's miserable. I ought to stop and preach a sermon right there. He's missing something, and he knows it. When God made you and I, he made you and I with a place. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. He wants a personal, one-on-one relationship, not because he loves the world, because he loves you. He loves you so much. He loves me so much, each one of us so much, that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price at Calvary, and God desires to have a relationship with us. This man has all that the world has to offer, but, but look at his demeanor. He, he is in such a desperate need that he runs to Jesus. I know I'm missing something. I know that isn't the name of Jesus wonderful. Isn't the name of Jesus all we need? I've heard about this man, Jesus. I just got to get to him. I got all this stuff, but yet he runs to get to Jesus. And, and he's, he's missing something. It says that, that he, he ran, he's gone forth away. He, he came running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? In spite of all of his possessions, he's missing something so bad that he ran to Jesus. As soon as he got to Jesus, it says that, that he knelt. The fact that he ran shows an urgency in his situation. The fact that he knelt shows humility in this man. And, and he says in the opening words, he says, good master. That, that word is agathos. It means intentionally good. He says, intentionally good master, on purpose master, the one that loves me by choice, master, 
What, what can I do? The word master means instructor or teacher. It's pretty important that this wealthy man who seems to have it all would call Jesus master. He says, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What he's saying is there is a hole that is unfilled in my life. I got all this stuff. There's something that I need. Jesus said in verse 19, thou knowest the commandment. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and the mother. Those come from the second table of the law. The first table of the law deals with man and God. The second table of the law deals with man and man, man's relationship with man. Jesus reaches into the second table of the law, man's relationship with man. He says, here's some things you got to do. Here's the things you got to keep. And the man says, Master, I've done all these things. I was brought up in church. I went to Sunday school. I was in the children's play. I've been in He's Alive. I've worked in Judgment Journey ever since I was small. I was taught to tithe. I've done all this stuff. I've kept the law. I know the law was like I've kept it, but yet, but yet I'm missing something. The text says that Jesus loved him. See, Jesus here has established the starting point, not the ending point. The things that he mentions here, these are baseline necessities. These are man's relationship with man. Love is the key. What Jesus says is, show me what you love. Here's the things to do. Here's the man's relationship with man. And he says, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, okay, show me what you love the most. One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. See, Jesus loved the man but he also knew the man's heart. He knew that nothing was more important to this man than his possessions. So Jesus now reaches back to the first table of the law in Exodus, and, and, he, and he gives him something in man's relationship with God. He reaches into Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, and he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, Jesus said to the young man, You've, you've done well. You've kept law, you, you've, you've gone to church, you've, you've done well. I gave you a chance right here. I gave you a chance to show the world for more than 2,000 years to come that, that you've kept all this. I've given you a chance to step up and, and say it. And I'm telling you, you've done well in a lot of stuff. And, and you've done well in your possessions. But now I ask you one simple question. Which one do you love the most? Me or the possessions? That, that, that's the choice. See, the problem here is that this young man has an idol in his life and he doesn't even know it. He has something. He has put his trust in riches and he has a trust in something other than the glory of God. And because he's put his trust in something else, something that he's not willing to let go of. See, if you truly trust God and God tells you to get rid of all this stuff and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, you've got to know you can't outgive God. You've got to know if you set out to give all this stuff away that he just keeps heaping it. He just keeps piling it. You keep trying to bless somebody else, he keeps blessing you. You keep Keep seeking the things of God. You keep trying to be desiring to God, pleasing to God, and you do what God said, and you try to be a blessing to somebody else that's in need of a blessing. God won't let you give it all away. You can't get rid of it because the more we give, the more God takes care of us. Does it mean you're going to win the lottery? Absolutely not. You shouldn't even be playing it, but I don't have time to preach that. You're wasting your hard-earned money. You might as well just go dump it off in a pond somewhere. Does it mean you're going to be a multimillionaire? No, it doesn't. What it does mean is that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus. What it does mean is when you sit down to pay bills, you go, God, I don't have the money to pay my bill. I sure don't have the money to pay my tithes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But you write down your check for tithes, and then you go, man, i got to take care of the missionary because Philippians 4.19 says that. I've got to take care of the missionary. That's what makes God supply all my needs. I signed up to take care of that, home, that little child over there in the lighthouse children's home for that $35. I don't have it, but I'm going to write these. My power bill hasn't been paid. You know they'll cut it off. My cell phone hasn't been paid. And you know, that's kind of like a time bomb, man. If I have my cell phone, if that thing gets cut off, I ain't going to make it. Like, I got to have that, God. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take care of the first things first. When you put God first, God puts us first. Jesus simply asked the man, who do you love the most? These are the things, these are the tables, these are the things to keep with the law. 
take your money and help people and do good charitable deeds and be all that. And the man says, I've done all that. And God says, okay, show me this. Which one do you love? There's a lot of us that deal with similar issues. Well, there's a lot of us that have something in our life. The truth be known, it means more to us than our relationship with God. We can say it don't, but I'm just asking to be real with ourselves for a minute. If the bank account was gone and everything was gone, do we trust God enough to get us through where we are? I mean, the man's posed with a pretty, pretty tough question. I ain't going to lie to you. Go sell all that you got and give it to the poor. You've got to put yourself in his shoes. What if God told us to do that right now? Sell your house, sell your car, sell your stuff, give it all to the poor. Pretty tough question, isn't it? What we find out is we're attached to things a little bit more than we realize. We're attached to some earthly things a little bit more than we know. It doesn't even have to be all that we have. What if it's that one special thing that we truly love that we have, and God said, I want you to get rid of that? That's kind of what the man's faced with here. We're never going to live a fulfilled life until God is the most important thing in our lives. You you know, we have to get some things right, and, and it's not easy. It's not easy. We, we face a lot of stuff. I, I first became pastor. I just tell you the truth. It created some problems for us. My wife's sitting right there. If you got anything you need to ask, she'll vi- verify everything I'm about to tell you. Created some situations. When your gross income becomes one-tenth of what you're used to making, that's, that's a situation in itself. That, that's life-changing in itself, and it's a readjustment of life. But there was so much more than that. It was, it was relearning how to, how to live. It was relearning how to get priorities right. And, and we, faced, we faced a problem, and I've, I've probably alluded to it before, but I'll just tell you straight up. It was like every other one we ever faced. It was my fault. You know, be, being a, a champion bass fisherman was so important. I put my wife on the back burner to be the best in the bass fishing world. You win that title and it's not enough, so I wanted another one. So I put my wife on the back burner to be a world champion archer. You win a world championship and it wasn't enough. So you got to have two. So you win two world championships and it still ain't enough. Seems like any time we've had problems because I've, I've had things out of order. I've got my priorities wrong. The same thing was true with being a pastor. It's just my nature. I just wanted to be good. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting to be good at what you do. Whether you are or not, doesn't matter. It's the desire to be. And I just wanted to be good, but I got things out of order. And, and I, I had the, the church first. Make, make no mistakes about this. Any of you that know me, if you want to know, you can ask my wife, you can ask my daughter. If you're sitting in here, I absolutely love you to death. I love this church. I love this church. I love the people of this church. Everything in me loves the people of this church, and my, my family will testify that. If you know anything about me, you know that. But I can't put the church ahead of my own family, and I was. I had things out of order. So Robin and I went to get some counseling. We went back to Pastor Ike Reichert. He was a pastor when I got saved at New Hope Baptist. He was our pastor for many years. He is the pastor that, that married us. And we went back, and we, we talked to him for a little while, one of the things that, that we always have to do is put God first, but it's understanding that priority. There, there was even times that I started trying to put Robin first. That's out of order. Just did it at Josh and Kenley's wedding. I do the same thing at every wedding. When I have a couple standing in front of me, I challenge them to make the marriage a three-fold cord. A two-strand cord ain't going to last. It's a three-fold cord, and the center strand has to be God. But I always tell a couple that if the husband will draw closer to God and the wife will draw closer to God, then the two of them draw closer to each other so that the two become one flesh. So Robin and I went to counseling, and Pastor Ike Reichard gave us some things, and and I want to share some things with you this morning. These are things that, that I have kept for seven years now. This isn't marriage advice. This is me advice. Y'all ready? He asked me a question. 
How thin can you spread yourself until you're no longer there? How many of you got multiple irons in the fire? <laughs> Ain't enough hours in the day. If you type A personality, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're running from can to can't, and can't gets here before you're done with can. You're just trying to get it all done. He said, how thin can you spread yourself until you're no longer there? He was, he was alluding to the church. How thin can you spread yourself among the people of the church until you're no longer there for your family? How thin can you spread yourself into everybody else's problem until you're not there to take care of your own wife? And, and, I, and I took that. I've shared it with you before in this. I took it as like if I had a whole piece of toast and a little bitty dab of jelly. I can put it on one corner and have one good bite. I can make it my first bite or my last bite. It don't matter, but I can have one good bite. I can spread it a little bit on that corner out there and maybe get two bites out of it. Or I can take it and I can spread it and work it and get it all over that piece of toast. But by the time I get through, I've gotten it so thin that I've wasted it because I can't taste any of it. I've spread it so thin that, that it's basically useless. If we're not careful, we'll spread ourselves so thin that we're not much good for anybody. We find ourselves trying to do so many things with so many irons in the fire that we tend none of them. Re remember... God didn't make any of us to do everything. He made every one of us to do something. If we're not careful, we'll wind up dropping the balls that mean the most. The second thing he asked me, he said, the way you're working today, is that sustainable over the next 20 or 30 years? Can you keep doing what you're doing? Especially, see, one, one thing that's very different, everything else I always had in my life was my job. This is not my job. This is my life. I am blown away that God gives me the opportunity to even touch that book. That he would let me teach it is unfathomable. That he, could, that he could love me and have that kind of grace and that kind of forgiveness and that kind of mercy. That he could let somebody like me teach his book is proof that God can do anything with anybody. Is what you're doing sustainable for the next 20 to 30 years? I'm no different than I believe any. I believe everybody here is, I think we all want the same thing. I, I want to glorify God with my life. I don't want to be a bottle rocket. I want to be a light. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we see it all the time. You see people come into church. Sometimes you see people get saved or they come in and they jump. All of a sudden they're jumping into one ministry after another. They've got to be involved in everything. They're all in it. And it's... That's all you get out of a bottle rocket. And all of a sudden, you miss them in church. You don't see them anymore. You call and check on them. They'll come back after about a month or there, a week or two. But, but, it, but it's like a whiz bang. Y'all remember them? They pop at the top and they're done. We're supposed to be a light, a continual light. Not a one-time flash like a firecracker, but, but a glowing ember, Christ in us, that, that people see every day, that, that God can use us every single day of our lives. Spiritual life first. Spiritual life first. Our relationship with God first. If you're married, your spouse is second. If you have children, your family is third. If you are a younger child, you're not married, family comes second. But I'm telling you, first, second, third, it's God first, spouse second, family third, then the church. So being involved in church. If, if we are spiritually sound, then we'll be in church. If we're spiritually sound, we'll be involved in church, and you'll be involved in the ministry that suits you and not try to be in everything that's out here. He asked us both this question. Anybody still awake? The direction you're currently headed, is it leading you toward the life that you desire? There ain't nobody but you and I can answer. This is a very personal question, but take... Take a minute and think about it before you can answer it. Think about life. Think about where you're going. Is the direction that you're currently headed leading you toward the life you desire? I sat there thinking about it, but then he threw a, a monkey wrench all up in the fan and messed up everything. He said, direction trumps intention when it leads to your destination. Whew, did I say that too fast? Direction trumps intention when it leads to your destination. No matter which way we're going, our direction is what's going to take us to our, de our destination, regardless of what our intentions may be. 
Y'all always heard those saying, good intentions, what is the road to hell, the highway to hell is paved with good intentions? Intentions are just that. They're intentions, but intentions aren't going to get us to where we're going. It, it takes actually doing some things to be what we want to be. Our, our direction will determine our destination. He said it isn't our intentions that will take us to our destination. It's our direction. So the question in all that is, are we doing the things that we know we need to be doing for the glory of God? Do we have our priorities in order? The text this morning Jesus gives us just some baseline facts to help us find a, a balanced life, to help us keep all five of these balls in the air at the same time. In verse 17, you see this young man has a hunger. He has a desire for something that he comes for. There's this, there's this inner human being in all of our lives. We have a hunger to have a relationship with God. God has put that there. He ran up to Jesus. He fell on his knees and asked him, what do I do? And Jesus said, you know what to do. Look at the second table of the law. Look at man's relationship with man. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't, uh, don't, don't, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. He gives him these things, and the man says, I've done all these things. I'm a good guy. I, I, I've kept all those, but yet his life is still out of balance, and he knows it. There are people today giving to charities, doing all that they can, even trying to plug into church things. I know one of them. He thinks his good works is going to get him into heaven. No, it's not. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only begotten Son of the living God. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing going to get us into heaven. Your works ain't going to get it. It doesn't matter how much you've got or how much you give. His name is Jesus Christ. And we live in a world that continues to tell you there's thousands of ways there's not. There's one. His name is Jesus this man's got all this stuff and his life is so out of balance that he comes running to Jesus. He's trying to, to gain a, 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 the wisdom of what else does he need. In order to gain a correct sense of balance, a lot of times it requires a rethinking of our priorities. Not our intentions, but our priorities. Intentions are one thing, but what you do shows the priority. He says... In verse number 21, beholding him, loved him. And he said unto him, one thing. We got that text. You got your Bible open? One thing. He doesn't give him a list. He doesn't talk about the Ten Commandments. He doesn't talk about the table of the law. He doesn't talk about the Levitical law. He doesn't talk about anything else. He changes right here. And he says, one thing thou lackest. Go sell your stuff and come follow me. Go show me that you love me more than that stuff, and I'll show you how much I love you. See, what Jesus didn't follow up is if you go sell that stuff and give it to the poor, I can double or triple what you already have. What he said was, you show me that you love me more. Sometimes God just needs us to show him that we love him more. Gaining a sense of balance in our life and keeping all the balls in the air, a lot of times what will involve a series of choices. The man here made a choice. It says that he was sad at the saying and he went away grieved for he had great possessions. The truth is, none of us really like no for an answer. But sometimes it has to be no to self so that we can say yes to what it is that God says. He goes on, verse 23, looked round about. He said to the disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter in the kingdom of God? They that have riches enter in the kingdom of God? The disciples are astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? They, they are astonished. They, they are confused. Jesus rewords it and he says, how hard is it for man? Not, not that has. I'm not saying you can't have anything, but somebody puts all their trust in their riches. How hard is it? They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Jesus looking upon himself with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Gaining a true sense of balance may seem impossible in man's eyes, even in our own eyes. It may seem impossible sometimes to keep all the balls in the air at one time. But God says that with him, all things are possible. You just got to put me first. All things are possible in Christ if we have our priorities in place. I want to share something else real quick. It sounds like we're going to be here a long time, but I promise you it's not because I'm going to do them really quick. But Ike gave us 10 things, 10 things to help make better choices. Note takers, you ready? 
He said, commit yourself early to accept God's call. Probably every one of us in here has ever been saved. You know God has something for you to do. You know God's nudged something on your heart. Maybe it's working in the nursery. Maybe it's singing in the choir. Maybe it's singing a solo. Maybe it's teach. Maybe it's preach. I don't know. But I do know this. For every child of God, God has a plan and God has a purpose. And, and what Ike says is commit to the purpose now. The younger you commit to it, the better off you are. I'd give anything to be able to back up to, to some of their ages and start serving God that many years ahead of time. But he said, commit yourself early to God's call. Number two, he says, establish spiritual disciplines. See, he emphasizes this is important. If you want to, to find God's will, if you want to be in line with the things of God, you need to establish some spiritual things. You need to establish a daily prayer life. He said, you need to establish a morning reading habit. You need to establish a, a daily study. You need to make God a priority in your life. You need to establish a relationship. He said you need to establish sharing your faith with others. Share your passion. Why is it that we can share up until a week and a half ago, eight days ago, I could have shared with you about the Georgia Bulldogs, but now I'm a little bent out of shape. They ain't what I thought it was. Why? why I don't know. I need to tell my message. I'm going to get in trouble, show the world. Why, why is it that we can be sports fans? And I mean, man, you're the fan. You know what I'm talking about? I, listen, I'm, I am the guiltiest one in here. I'm walking in a, in a place. It don't matter where I am. I'll be in a parking lot. Anybody got a G on? Go dogs. Go dogs. It's contagious. Y'all don't cast no stones up here. Y'all walk around with them university awful UAs on there. I'm sorry, Holly. Auburn, I meant. And, and, and it's, it's War Eagle. War Eagle. You don't even know them. Oh, man, yeah, people have them big old A's on. You say, go Braves. <laughs> or you do that curse word he said, like roll tide. <laughs> roll them up like a roll of Charmin. <laughs> I grew up in an Alabama household. I used to love Alabama, but I'm really getting sick of them. I tell you right now, as a Georgia fan, they about, burnt, they about ruffled my last feather. Why is it you can wear that stuff and, and everybody, you're just a big fan and everything's great, but you wear a shirt that says Jesus and you're one of them religious freaks. You're overboard. You're over the top. Why do you wear that kind of stuff? And, and anything else, you're just a fan. But when it comes to the things of God, you're a nut. I just want to be a nut. We, we, we need to be just as complimentary when somebody's got something on that says Jesus to point out the shirt. Love your shirt. Thank you for the shirt. Merry Christmas. Thank you for the shirt that you don't have nothing about no holidays on there. If you're going to wish me happy holidays, just keep your mouth closed. I don't need it. Tell me Merry Christmas or tell me nothing. Why is it? Why is it that we can get so excited about sports stuff? But when it comes to God things, well, I don't even know where I was at in my message now. When it comes to the things of God, you, you, you become some, some fanatic. I know what it was. He said we're supposed to be passionate about our faith. Be passionate about sharing your faith with others. Be passionate about sharing what we believe. And he said, I didn't say it. I'm giving you all my lead. He said, be in church. Number three, he says, be at a place where you have a sense of belonging. This was a two-step that he caught us off guard, caught me off guard. He says, you ought to feel at home at your church. See, we ought to feel at home at faith. Every other church ought to feel home. First Baptist ought to feel at home, First Baptist. Baptist Tabernacle ought to feel home, Baptist Tabernacle. Callaway ought to feel at home. They are our family. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ, but this is our immediate family. This is the one we put together, and we ought to feel at home. But then, but then he threw this part. He said, we feel at home when we're at the place where we serve, not the place where we're served. 
He said, too many people don't feel at home at church because they sit on the pew and all the words about what can the church do for them. He said, we'll feel at home when we become a part of the church and we come plugged into the ministries and we begin to be about what can we do for the church that the kingdom might be added to instead of making everything about self. Number four, he said, be around the people you love and serve in harmony with them. See, that was a big deal for me then. I had to learn stuff. I came off of a self-employed life, and there was one person I could count on to show up at work every day, and there's one person that mattered. It was me. If you came, good. I had help. If you didn't, it didn't matter. I was supposed to go make money. This is all different. See, in, in, in this here, our, our salvation is individual, but serving is not. Anybody hear that? Salvation is a solo event. Somebody else getting saved can't get me saved. Me getting saved can't get somebody else saved. Salvation is a solo event, but, but serving is a corporate event. Number five, he says, commit yourself to being a lifelong learner. Commit yourself to being a lifelong learner. We will learn up until the minute we die. My dad always says, live and learn, die and forget it all. Then they throw dirt in your face. Be a lifelong learner. Things that we do, books that we read, music that we listen to, movies that we watch, all of those things shape who we are. Everything we've put in in the past has shaped who we are now, and everything that we put in today is going to shape who we're going to become. Put, put good books in. Listen to Christian music. Stay away from filthy, trash movies, which both basically just means stay away from movies. Even Hallmark's got on the bandwagon of trashing up their movies. So it basically just means stay away from, from movies. But, but could, put good stuff in because the places that we go, the people that we hang with, all of those things are going to shape who we are. What we put in is what we're going to get out. Unless you're Jesus, you're not going to pour water into the vat and get wine out of it. You're going to pour water in, get water out. So what we put in our life is what we can expect to get out. Number six, he says, find a work where your talents are used. Every one of us has got a talent. Every one of us in here, God has a place in our lives. God has something for us to do. He said, find the ministry that suits your talent. It, it doesn't have to even be something big. It's just where your talent is used, something that you want to do. This church is full of ministries. They're out there. Find one that suits you. Don't try to be in everything. None of us can be in everything this church does. Don't try to be in all. Find the one that suits you and be in that one and, and be usable in that one. Be that little bit of jelly on the corner that makes a difference instead of being spread so thin through all of them that we really can't change anything. He says, discover God's perfect will for your life. That's another one that, that you've got to think about. Discover God's perfect will for your life. There was something eye-opening for me. How many of you know God's perfect will right now, what God wants you to be? See, here, here's what we think. Here's what I think. I'm going to assume you're in this with me. What is God's will for my life? That means what am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be a preacher? Am I supposed to be an evangelist? Am I supposed to be a singer? Am I supposed to be a Sunday school teacher? Am I supposed to be a missionary? Am I supposed to be a choir member? It, it, it's what is the long term? What is God's will for my life? That's not what he was talking about. He said God's will for your life is a daily affair. When you get up in the morning, God, what is your will for my life today? And it is try to follow and do everything that God gives you today. Tomorrow, the things of tomorrow take care of that. You get there, you wake up tomorrow morning, God, what will you have me do today? What is the will? Not, not what is your will for my life in the long term? See, if, if we take care of what God wants us to be now, what is your will today? Then God's will becomes our direction, which will determine our destination. So you got to do it in a one-day process. He says, what am I on, number eight? Number eight, live within your means. Be generous with what you have. That's a tough one, especially since we've got all this plastic now. We can live outside of our means. If they just quit sending those bills every 30 days, it'd be nice. I mean, I'm walking, I had plenty of money. They took the plastic, so obviously I could afford it. Why can't I afford this bill when it comes in? He says, be content with what you have, but be generous to others. You hear people say it a lot, man, we just can't. We can't do this. We, we can't help with that. We, we can't help with the Christmas tree. We can't help with that one over there. I mean, we just, man, I mean, we, we're, we're strapped. We're so financially strapped. We, we can't do those things. If we had more, we'd do this and we'd do that. No, they won't. If we're not accountable with what we have, we're just going to be more accountable if we have more, unaccountable if we have more. So 
He says in verse number nine, don't be afraid to fail. When you fail, fall, fail forward. That's a pretty big deal that's talked a lot about around here. Paul Hutchins probably pushes it the most. It came up a lot when we were talking about Judgment Journey, which we were planning on doing. A couple big new scenes, a lot of work, a lot of work to go into it, a lot of trial and error. What we want to do, we can't afford. But when you got people like Paul and Jonathan Hutchins, I'm sorry, brother, I just had to throw your name in there, and, and, and Shane um, Cummins, when you got people like that, you can build stuff. You don't have to be able to afford it. They're just brilliant. So Paul says this, and he said a lot when we were talking about that. He says failure is an option. We're working on it here. We need to start in time because failure is an option, but yet he's never afraid to try it. When you fail, you get up and, and you try something different. Failure is only fatal when it's final, when it calls you to stop. I, I've shared this with you before about Thomas Edison inventing the light bulb. But it is said that he that he tried 10,000 times unsuccessfully to create the light bulb. And somebody asked him, how do you keep your momentum? How do you keep going? How do you not get discouraged? How is it that you can fail 10,000 times and still keep going? I love his answer. He said, I have never failed once. I have successfully eliminated 10,000 ways to try and make a light bulb. It's all in how you see it. When you fail, fail forward. And I love number 10 because this is one that everybody can plug in no matter where we are. This is one that we can all go for. He said, determined to finish strong. Determined to finish strong. Before we can finish strong, we have to become finishers. There's a lot of unfulfilled resolutions from 2021 we didn't finish. There's a lot of unfulfilled resolutions from 2020 we didn't finish. There's a lot of unfulfilled resolutions from 2019 we didn't finish. The first thing we have to do is learn to be a finisher before we can finish strong. At what point do we no longer make New Year's resolutions that don't make it past January and start making decisions, making choices that change our lives? At what point do we stop making excuses for why we didn't finish? Well, I can get off into meddling right there. I don't, I don't mean that to be hard. I just have to assume I'm not the only one that has a lot of unfulfilled things in my life that I said I was going to do and I never did. Determine to finish strong. Determine to leave a legacy worth following. We can't go back and change one thing in our life. What's done is done. If there's something in our past that was bad, ask for forgiveness and move on. We can't relive yesterday, but we can stop it from messing up tomorrow. If the devil can keep, I know I say this a lot, but it's just true. It's just true. I want to make sure we all understand. If the devil can keep you and I living in our past, he'll destroy our future. If he can keep us living in the past, he'll destroy today. Today is the day that we're supposed to be working on our relationship today. That, that God, what is your will in my life today? If the devil can keep us buried in yesterday's failures, he can mess up today's successes. Nobody can be successful walking forwards while looking backwards. At some point, I know when we look back, a lot of us, we got some crooked paths behind us, some crooked things we've done, but at some point, we've got to look back and say, the crooked paths back there don't matter. I can't change them. They're what they were. I walked them, but now I'm right here. But I'm taking the straight and narrow from here on out. I'm staying on this path. I'm following this book from here on. So, so here in our text this morning, when it comes to, to worldly things, this, this young man... He has it all, but he's still missing something. So he ran to Jesus with this urgent situation. He falls on his knees, and, and he asks his request, and Jesus says, there's a lot of things you've done well. If y'all still with me, raise your hand. I want to make sure you don't miss this part. Ain't nobody sleep. Nudge him. He says, there's a lot of things that you've done well, but one thing that you have to get right. You have to put God first. That's what he told the man. He said, go sell your possessions, but in a nutshell, you take it all in that day and say, there's one thing you've got to get right. Put God first in your life. I wonder how many times we, we have come to the altar, we've come to church, we've prayed at home, we've prayed in our car, we've prayed in our closet. I, just, I wonder how many times we, we've come to God 
And God says, you've done some things well. But there's one area in your life and we weren't willing to put it down. That's borderline meddling, ain't it? I wonder how many times we know God either said, this is something in your life that you've got to get out, or this is something in your life that you need to do. We know it's a direction. It's a little nudging of the Holy Spirit. It's to go witness to somebody. or It's to read our Bible in the morning. But it's that, that little nudging. We know that there's one thing that, that God has told us to do, and we continue to not do that one thing. I wonder how many years we, we've made resolutions at New Year's only to see them fall to the wayside. This man's problem is so urgent that he ran to Jesus. He came to him with the problem. Jesus gave him the answer. He picks his problem up there, and he takes it home with him. And we never hear from him again. Man, you guys, come on. Maybe I need to repeat that last part. He ran to Jesus. He presented Jesus with his problem. Jesus presented him with the solution to his problem. And because he didn't like the answer, he picked his problem up, carried his problem home with him, and we never hear from him again. I, I know I've done it, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. He left with the same problem he came in with. He stood in the face of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only begotten Son of the living God who can do all things. He stood in the presence of God himself. He knelt before him face to face. He brought his problem to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, the one that could change everything. He sat at his feet, and he said, here's my problem. And Jesus said, here's your answer. He said, no, thank you. I'll just carry my problem back home with me, and I'll live with it. Christians, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We, we bring problems to the altar. We pray and cry over them. And we pick up and we walk back out the door with them. I already know y'all can't juggle. Only one said partly can. So I know the rest of us can't juggle, but Jesus can. He can take all five of your balls and keep them in the air all at one time. We just got to focus on which ball is the most important. The spiritual ball is the one that matters most. I just, I don't know. I, I know that God clearly changed yesterday morning what I was going to preach for today. And this sounds like something I would preach more the last week of the year or the first week of a new year to going into a, a resolution. But here, I feel like God's given us a, a three-week head start. We have an opportunity to daily seek God right here. God, what do you want me to do different? I'm going to make 2022 different. I'm, I'm, I'm going to set out to make it different. God, would you give me the direction that you want me to go to be the things that you want me to be, to do the things that you want me to do? If I could have you bow your heads for just a minute right where you are before these guys sing. Matter of fact, just you're going to play a minute. We may not get to sing that song. Um, I want to ask you first and foremost, is there anybody in here in the situation of this man. This man's problem is he's not saved. He's never been washed in the blood of Jesus. His name's never been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He was given an opportunity then, just like you're given now. If you're within the sound of my voice, you can change it all right now. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I'm asking you to come into my heart Forgive me of my sins and save my soul in Jesus' name. Every one of us in this place that are children of God came the same way. We came by the way of the cross. We came to the foot of the cross and we asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and save our soul. And that's what makes us sinners saved by grace. Two types of sinners, the one saved by grace and the one still lost. If you've never put your trust in Christ, you're like this young man. You may have done a lot of things in the world. You may have a lot of riches. You may have a lot of things you're holding on to. You may have your trust in your money. You may have your trust in your friends, your trust in your job. But if your trust is in anything but Jesus Christ, you're on sandy soil. You're on shaky ground. And when the storm comes, it will wash out from under your feet and it will leave you a need for something else. 
Are you willing to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? Christians, I just challenge this morning for all of us is to hand it to God. Whatever it is, hand it to God. Whatever it is that we can't deal with, whatever challenge it is that we face, whatever things that we need God to help us hold up and hold on to, hand it to God. Don't pick it up and take it back home. Just give it to Him this morning. Ask Him to help you put it down. He's the one that can juggle the balls. If we're not careful, not careful, we can get so busy, so focused on one particular ball, it can make us drop some of the others, and those may be the most important ones we needed to hold on to. God, just help me be what you'd have me to be. Father, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you, Lord, that you would call us children. <laughs> you call a sinner like me a child of the King, Lord unbelievable so unimaginable your grace is so amazing unlike the disciples I'm just astounded that you could be that good God I thank you for this place called Faith Baptist Church I thank you for these that are present here today God I pray you'd be with every family represented I pray you'd bless each and every home God I pray you'd make us usable vessels help us Father to let our light shine that we don't whiz up and pop out, but that we're a continuous light, Father, that people could see you in us and see you through us, that souls might come to the kingdom through us, Father. Help us to tell others about how good you've been and how good you are. We love